If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, we're actually going to look at a couple of different places today. We're going to start in the book of Exodus and we'll also be in the book of Leviticus because I know this, when you think Christmas messages, you think Exodus and Leviticus, right? Well, we're, we're looking at a series called Dwell. Uh, it's incredible that our God, and this is the God who's creator of heaven and earth. This is the God who's created all things and who's a mighty God and sustains all things. I mean, this is the holy God, the God who makes, made you in his image, longs to have a relationship with you. That's such good news. The God longs to dwell with his people. You see, the Bible begins, the Bible begins and ends with God dwelling with his people. And he dwells with them in the beginning and in the very end where we're heading is unbelievable places where he dwells with us. It's, it's paradise. God created us in his image for him and to have fellowship with him. He created this, this perfect garden for us to dwell with him. And at the end of the story, he is going to bring us to himself and, and he will forever dwell with his people. There'll be no shadow of turning from us. There'll be no chance that we're going to mess it up. We will forever be home. But do you know what the really the majority of the Bible story is? It's incredible. The majority of the story is how God himself, God himself pursued after you and me when we rebelled against him. Why would he do that? Because he loves us so much. Because he wanted to dwell with us. As a matter of fact, from Genesis 3 through really the rest of the Bible until you get to the very end where we are forever united with him in the new heavens and new earth is how God himself has rescued us so that we can now and forever dwell with him. One of the major themes of the Bible that you find in Genesis 3 that, that runs through this is that God promised as soon as we sinned and as soon as we messed up and as soon as holy God had to drive us out of that garden and drive us out of that, that relationship and that uh, with him, dwelling with him, God immediately had a promise that he's going to bring us back. I mean, it's incredible. It's the grace of God. Do you know it? I mean, immediately he promises in the midst of our brokenness in a story that seems to have crumbled when everything went wrong and bad. God says, I'm going to provide a seed through a woman. And this seed is going to come and restore everything that was broken. He's going to make new everything that is dead. He's going to rescue everything that is his, that is lost. And as you read through scripture, and let me encourage you to do it. Here we find ourselves in December and January's right around the corner. Maybe you're already thinking of a New Year's resolution. And let me encourage you, maybe this next year you'll read through the scriptures. By God's grace, it's something I've loved to do for many years. And already decided on the Bible I have next year. I'm going to read through scripture chronologically and, and kind of where the prophets fit and where everything goes together. Maybe you can join me. But as you read through scripture, you'll see that this seed of promise appears through Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. And it's kind of like following the bouncy ball sometimes in a song. Well, it's that seed of promise going all the way through what we call redemptive history or God's story that finds itself bearing fruit in a manger in Bethlehem. That God's own son was that, that promised seed to come. And Christmas is the ultimate celebration that God has come to dwell with us. That God in flesh, Emmanuel, is here with us. We are looking this Advent season at this biblical narrative of God dwelling with his people. 
And we're looking at different slices of time. We started last week in the garden. Uh, if you missed it, you can go back and, and listen to it. And by the way, after every sermon, I have to uh, choose, do we want the first service or the second service to be posted online? Last week was quite easy to pick. Do we want the squirrel sermon or the first service? So we went with a squirrel. No, we didn't. But so we're talking about God dwelling with us and we're looking at it through the lens of scripture and the different times we started in the garden. Today, we're going to focus on the tabernacle. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But that's a place where God specifically dwelled with his people when they had left Egypt um, and slavery and they were headed to the promised land that God himself would dwell with them in that wilderness. It's such good news. You don't want to miss it. Because let me ask you a question. Has any of you here ever felt like you've wandered in the wilderness? Have ever you here ever felt like you were in a dry place, a broken place, and wondered if God is in that place? This is good news. And then next week, we're going to look at the, the uh, God dwelling with his people in the promised land and the temple. The following week of Advent, we're going to see that God showed up personally himself, that Jesus put on flesh, and he tabernacled with us. And then on New Year's Day, we're going to gather and worship and we're going to look at the new heavens and the new earth that God's promised. So that's, that's what's coming before you. But again, let me, as we jump in, it's going to be important for us to, to pull up last week's, at least the points of last week, because we're going to stand on those points this week. Last week, we looked at the reality that God made us for himself. He made us for himself and he made us for, for three things we looked at to find our identity in God because we are his image. We are to find our identity in him. We'll never know who we're supposed to be. We'll never know our true identity until we find our true God. But he did more. He not only gave us, created us to find our identity in him. He also created us to find fellowship with him, to walk with him, to walk with him in the cool of the evening, to walk with him throughout life. And this is the God of the universe. He's created us to have fellowship with him. And lastly, he's created us to find our purpose through him. That our purpose is to bring him glory and to fill the earth with his story and with his love and his renown. Uh, just to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, that is what we learned last week. And this week we're going to see that God continues to journey with us, even in the midst of some pretty harsh uh, conditions. We're going to look at Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9. I'm going to keep in the book of Exodus, and this is not in your bulletin, but it will be on your screen. We're going to look at Exodus 40, verses 34 through 38, and then Leviticus 26, verses 9 through 13. But let's be mindful that this is God's holy word. And what this will tell us is, when God's people are wandering in a wilderness, that God loves them so much that he wants to be with them. Here's what it means to you. Wherever you wander, wherever you go. It's incredible that God wants to enter into our condition. So let us read the holy word of God, beginning in the book of Exodus 25, verse 8. And God said to them, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Now they made it, and God now is going to fill that, that place that they made with his glory in Exodus 40, beginning at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Leviticus 26. And this is where we're going to really focus on verses 9 through 13. God says, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. Basically saying, I'm going to provide for you. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and you will be, and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, how gracious it is of you that you have created us to dwell with you and to know and love you and to be known and loved by you. And how incredible merciful it is of you that you would continue to pursue us so that you could be with us throughout any situation we find ourselves in. God, we know that. We know that to the depths Because we are reminded that you would so love us. That you would send your only son to come and to be one of us. To rescue us. So that we now and forevermore may dwell with you, our God. And we would be your children. God, would you come and would you dwell with us this morning through the preaching of your word? Would you do that which only you could do? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? And would you be with us so powerfully by your spirit that you would give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? Father God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, And contain the beautiful gospel of your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you use those words to make us more like him? We pray this for your glory and for our edification. And in his matchless name, amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me as we look at this incredible passage of scripture. And the first thing that we realize is that God still identifies with us. And we have to understand the context where we understand that God still identifies with us because we find ourselves in this passage with God's people who are broken, God's people who are sinful, God's people who have hard hearts and hard heads, who are so prone to wonder. In the midst of this, be blown away by the grace of God that God still identifies with us. In the verse 11, as we read that Leviticus passage, it says this. God says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. 
you probably want to stop and say, what in the world is God saying? How could God say, you know what? I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to still dwell with you. And by the way, I'm not going to hate you. And we say, well, God, this is God. This is loving God. Why would he even say, I will not abhor you? Well, because our God is holy God. Our God is perfect God. Our God is sinless God. And that God is going to dwell with, with a broken ragtag bunch of people like us. And he's going to hang with us. And he's going to say, but I want you to know, I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to abhor you. He's basically saying, I won't despise your weakness. I won't despise the fact that you, you just keep wandering, don't you? You keep forgetting, don't you? Your life is plagued with starts and stops and do-overs. And, and you seem to get it right for a few steps and then mess it all up. And, and sometimes we don't know if we're, we're further along the road or even further back. And he's basically saying, I'm going to move towards you in a way that doesn't despise your weakness. Do you know how really good news this is? I mean, last week is, is staggering that God would make us in his image to have our identity and fellowship and purpose in him. But I would tell you this week is even more staggering is after we've messed up the story, after we've said, God, we want to go our own way. God doesn't throw up his hands and say, I'm so sick and tired of them. I'll do it some other way. But God says, I want to still dwell with you. I don't abhor your weakness. The first, grade, the first girl in sixth grade to check the box, will you go out with me, yes or no? The first girl that checked yes was Lee Garvey. And that was a big deal in our school in sixth grade. That means we were going steady. That meant that there was a big deal going on with Lee and me. And that meant that I had the privilege and the obligation to call her at night on a phone with a cord in it and to try to, you know, build on a solid foundation of that checkbox. Yes, I will go steady with you. And being an insecure young man like I was, and maybe even that age, I, I was thinking, what, what can I say over this uh, telephone line that could really impress Lee, that could really let her know that checking that yes box meant that she got a bargain with Jeff Jakes. So I thought about it and I thought, well, this would be a good idea. I'll say something to her that she probably can never verify. She won't necessarily know, but it'll make me like really cool. And so I said to her, you know, Lee, sometimes I'm getting ready to go to bed. I, I take off my shirt and, and sometimes I, I look a little bit like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> now, Rocky one was hitting the theaters. It was big time, you know, and, and you know, looking like Rocky, I thought would be the coolest thing. And I thought there was no way that she'd ever verify the fact that I was this scrawny little kid that looked nothing like Rocky Balboa. But after I said that, I was like, Lee, you there? Somehow something happened. She had to quickly get off the phone. Maybe her mom called her. I don't know. But the, the conversation ended the next day, that checkbox of going out with you was changed to no. And all of her friends called me Rocky. It's a true story. She found out the truth about me, that I was crazy insecure to the point where I would pretend to be something else. And what sixth grade boy thinks it's a good idea to say, I think I look sometimes like Rocky Balboa. And the call of Rocky echoed down the hallway. And I hung my head in shame. See, God in this incredible grace chooses to identify with us 
We lean into this. God chooses to identify with sinful, broken people. That's such good news for us because who are we? Sinful, broken people. But there's even more grace. Not only does he choose to identify with us, he chooses to identify with our condition. And our condition, he will actually move in. The story of God wandering with his people in a tent as they were in tents, wandering through there is basically God's proclamation of good news is that God will wander with us in our condition. Basically saying God moves into the projects and God moves into your neighborhood. God moves next to you, even in the wilderness. Why? Because he does not despise our weakness and he does not despise our condition. And let me just hit pause and say, and neither should you. Because I know as a people pleaser like me, I know that oftentimes it's my weakness and my condition of brokenness that, that continually beats me up, that I continually use to say that I'm not of value, I'm not of worth. But that's not what God does with us. He doesn't despise our weakness or, or, or our condition. He promises to dwell with us in this midst of this tabernacle. And Christmas, Christmas is the ultimate celebration that God will identify with us, ready for this, by becoming one of us. He identifies us as Emmanuel, God with us. And John 1.14 would say that, that the word of God, the eternal word of God, he would put on flesh and he would tabernacle with us. We'll look at more of that in a couple of weeks. You know, the beautiful thing about this is this reality that our identity ultimately will not be our sin. Your identity ultimately will not be your sin, but will be your savior. If you're a Christian in Christ Jesus, we will be known because of his righteousness in Christ Jesus. We'll be known because of his life, his death, his resurrection. What at the end of the day, we're loved and accepted on is completely through Jesus, not our sin. Not even our gifts and our, our own righteousness. God still identifies with us, but we have to understand that God has to account for our sin. God can't identify with us and have this sin thing and just kind of put it behind his back and say, it's not really a big deal. You see, our identity needs to be restored and sin needs to be dealt with. And, and that's why through the Old Testament, especially as you get this tabernacle language, that we see that God himself put together this sacrificial system in place that they were butchering and killing goats and bulls and, and having all this. Why? Because God had to deal with the sin of his people. And, and as a matter of fact, he set up his tabernacle in a way that, that you couldn't get too close to the Holy of Holies. As a matter of fact, one person, a high priest, one time a year could actually go there, but he better bring a sacrifice because God's got to count for the sins of his people. And Christmas is this incredible celebration that God accounted for our sin. Ready for this? By becoming our sin. God accounted for our sin by becoming our sin. Jesus, this one, the born of a woman, born the seed that was to come, this sinless one would hang on a Roman cross and he would, he would become our sin and the father would pour out his wrath upon it. And he'd cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus himself was born in a manger to die on a cross, to be resurrected in a grave, to deal and account for our sin. So that a sinner like you and a sinner like me and our current condition can deal with a holy God because of what Christ has done. 
The gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1, 21 says this about Jesus and Mary. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people of their sins. That's his name, Jesus, savior. He's going to save them. He's going to deal with this problem. In verse 22, and this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God still chooses to identify with us. God chooses, God deals with our sin condition. But here's the beautiful thing about our God. God leads us to a better condition. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, God doesn't leave us there. He meets us there, but he doesn't leave us there. Our God dwells with us in our condition, yes, but he doesn't leave us there. He leads us to the promised land. Look at verse 13. God brought his people out of Egypt so they would not be slaves. That whole story of, of, uh, of the Exodus, the whole story of the plagues, the whole story of the parting of the sea, the whole story of God's people walking on dry land, the whole story of the sea crashing back over the Egyptians, the whole story of heading to the promised land is only foretelling that that's what's going to happen with Jesus and his people. He's going to come and he's going to deliver us from slavery and he's going to lead us to the promised land. I know that we often feel like we're just wandering the desert, but I want you to know that we're headed home and he's promised to lead us there. Jesus would say in the gospel of John that he's gone to prepare a place for us. He says in John 14, two and three in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself and where I am, you may be also. He's basically saying, I'm going to dwell with you, but there's more to come and I'm going to lead you home. God still seeks to identify with us, but he also, God seeks to have fellowship with us. It's incredible what it says in verse 12 is that God still walks with us even in the wilderness, verse 12, I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I mean, this is, this is covenant language. This is, this is fellowship language. This is God knowing his people that are wandering. He says, hey, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to have fellowship with you. When Lee Garvey found out a little bit more about who I really was, Rocky Balboa, no more fellowship, no more walk in the halls. But God says, I still desire that relationship. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Christmas is the ultimate celebration that God came personally in flesh and walked among us. Now he wants fellowship with us, but again, God deals with our sins so that we could walk upright, that we could walk free, that we could walk erect. It says, look at, look at verse 13. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you shall not be slaves. And I've broken the bars of your yoke and make you walk erect. The Christmas story is the celebration that Jesus came to rescue you and me from the slavery of sin, from the slavery of sin that plagues humanity. Why? So that we could walk with him and not just walk with him, but walk with him with our chest out, with our heads held high because of what Christ has done. Listen to Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, there's that seed of promise, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you and I are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, hearts crying, Abba, Father. So no, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The reality of the grace of God and the love that we see at Christmas is that not only do you not want to be identified as your sin, but God wants you to walk proudly with the fact that he's with us and for us, that he's dealt with his sin so that you and I could truly be free, that we could truly be loved, that he's dealt with that so that we could have that fellowship unbroken. God turns his face for us. I will turn to you. In Christmas, God turned his face for us in a manger. It was a little baby that would come to rescue us. He's turned to us. He turned his face toward us at the cross as the father turned his face away from him. So that fellowship will forever be ours. And now he says, go and be fruitful because why the relationship is restored. Verse 26, nine, I will turn to you and make you uh, fruitful and, and multiply you. I'll confirm my covenant with you. We're back on task. God has turned for us, not away from us. He says again, in the midst of the wilderness, multiply and be fruitful. We know that multiplying and be fruitful in a broken world is painful. Any woman who's given birth and any man who's been anywhere near it knows that multiplying, even producing children is painful. And scripture will say, even uh, being fruitful will come by the sweat of our brow because we live in a world filled with thorns. But God says, the purpose that I've come is so that you would be fruitful and multiply. And you'd be my disciples and you'd go to every nation. You'd go wherever I send you and tell my story. The Lord's Supper that we're about to partake is a tangible reminder that God continues and longs to dwell with us. That God desires fellowship with us. And he restores our purpose to go and tell his story to the world around us. Would you prepare your hearts? Because we're so prone to forget that God wants to enter again into your condition. Wants to dwell with you and remind you that your identity is completely found in him. And that life and life abundantly comes alone through Christ and fellowship with him. Have you had that fellowship? Do you know that reality? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the elders to come and the pastors to the table. Um, give you a moment to reflect and I'll give you some words of instruction for communion. Let us pray together. Father God, what an incredible, gracious God that you are. That you would create us for yourself. And when we sin and turn away, you put on your running shoes and come running after us. You don't stop pursuing us. Even when your people are in a tent wandering in the wilderness, you say, it's a good idea you pitch a tent for me too. I don't abhor them. I want to walk with them. And God, what a great, what a great picture we have back in the tabernacle. But in Christ Jesus, we have such a better picture that he says, I'll put on flesh and come walk among them so that your children will forever be able to dwell with you, both now and to the life everlasting. Jesus, in your wisdom, you told us that we are to have this meal to remember. Remember what you did for us 
so that we could have fellowship with you. Oh, Holy Spirit, press that upon us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.